Hello, everybody. This is Kathy Schrader with Prevailing Matters and the Art of Prevailing. Today, I'm really excited to have Jamie Toledo on. She's going to share a powerful story of re restoration, redemption, and how she's turned her pain into the passion of helping others and bringing others out of the darkness. So, Jamie, welcome to the Art of Prevailing. I'm so glad you could um, join me today. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. So, um, I am a woman in long-term recovery. Um, I will have uh, six years in July, July 20th. Um, July 20th, 2015 was my, my date of surrender. Um, I am a peer specialist for addictive disease with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. I am a business owner of um, Miracle Massage Group here in Watkinsville, Georgia. Um, I am super involved in my community. I serve at the Divas Who Win Freedom Center here in Athens, which is an organization who uh, we help women who are coming out of prostitution, human trafficking, and women in recovery. Uh, I do recovery massage over there actually a, a special protocol that I created specifically for people in recovery, for um, people who have struggled with trauma um, and people on medication assisted treatment to help with the stabilization process and, and all that, the, the details that go into that. Also, um, I have a YouTube channel myself. My YouTube channel is Jamie Tall. And I have a show called Recovery Inspired Hope, where it's kind of like this setting where I um, interview people and really just shine light and speak out about recovery. I think it is so important to speak out about recovery because I feel like there has been such a shame and stigma involved. And the more that we get out the picture of this is what recovery looks like, the more people will be attracted to say, hey, you know, maybe I can do that or that looks like something that would be good for me. And there we can kind of stomp out the shame and stigma of, you know, come of, of coming into recovery, because I know for me, for the first couple of years, really until I got involved with Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, I was really embarrassed to tell people I was in recovery. And what I found when I did start speaking out about it was that people, whoever I talked to, knew somebody that was struggling, had a, a son, a daughter, an aunt, a mother, a father, an uncle, a friend, somebody that was struggling or had previously struggled and they started asking me questions and I was able to share hope with them and I realized then you know why am I ashamed of this why am I embarrassed of all these amazing accomplishments and all of the things that I have overcome when I could be helping people and when I you know the the programs in 12 step are are when you first come in are mainly your anonymous programs, right? And that can be great, you know, for people when you first come in. But what I found is when I lost my anonymity, my chains of shame and guilt were broken. 
And I felt empowered to speak out and empowered to share hope. And that is where I've had the most impact, which is kind of how I started my YouTube ministry. Um, and also with that, I am a mother. <laughs> I have two beautiful children. I have a 16 and a half year old and a 10 and a half year old. And I get to be a mom today. And I get to be part of their lives and be honest and transparent. And, you know, my 10 year old daughter is my biggest fan. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I want to just kind of back up and ask you a, a couple of questions about your story. It's so powerful and it's so needed today. First of all, I want to really kind of break down this shame barrier because we know that mental health and substance abuse knows no boundaries. Um, it, it impacts young and old, every culture, every economic level, er, every community. And what I have found encouraging, but also discouraging at the same time is that the scientific evidence that has been released over the past decade clearly establishes that substance abuse is a brain disorder. And I love how you are talking about massage therapy, the physicality of helping people through, because massage uh, releases endorphins and it's a, it's a, known, a, a known resource to treat a lot of mental health disorders like depression and discouragement and the darkness and all of that. Plus is it the healing properties that go along with that. And that, that'll be a story for another day, but how you've incorporated that, which you, you, you've embraced the scientific evidence of how healing properties help with healing the disease of substance abuse disorder. So talk to me about what you're finding in the community right now about whether people in the, in the community are embracing the scientific evidence or you still see that cloak of shame, which I call the cloak of shame because even you were embarrassed to talk about it until you really felt empowered through the resources of the Georgia Council of Substance Abuse. So let's talk about that and let's talk about how we can continue to break down that, that cloak of shame. Well, the first thing, you know, I wanna talk about is language. So when you, um, when I identify myself, I identify myself as a woman in long-term recovery because I'm a person first. I am not a junkie. I'm not a drug addict. You know, I am a person who struggled with substance use disorder. So that is um, something that everybody, you know, has kind of tried to work on because even in the 12 step meetings, right? We go into the 12 step meetings. My name's Jamie. I'm an addict. My name's Jamie. I'm addicted to cocaine. Uh, my name's Jamie. I'm an alcoholic, you know, yes. and you say that over and over and over again, yes. and it becomes like an identity, you know, and I get the purpose to be able to connect with people on that level. But at some point, you know, we have to realize that we're people first. And, you know, um, I'll be honest with you. When I was pregnant with my daughter, uh, she's just my ray of sunshine. I was addicted to pain pills. 
And I did not understand why I could not stop using. I was so ashamed and guilt-ridden. I finally came clean to the doctor when I was uh, about seven months pregnant and said, look, I've been abusing this pain medication uh, and I'm really concerned with my daughter's health when, when she comes out. And that was, you know, I just felt like as a mother, why can I not stop using? I, I felt like I was, you know, just bottom of the barrel. You know, I felt um, like I had no willpower. I was just pathetic. I was a terrible, terrible mom. And at that time, unfortunately, we didn't have the resources we have today with peer support in the hospitals and peers in the NICU. Uh, so it was a very degrading experience for me on top of already feeling so guilty and ashamed. But when I learned, when I came into recovery about the disease of addiction, that it was something in my brain that once I started, I could not stop. So I went in and out of detox, literally detox in mental hospitals eight different times. Every time I would get out, I would think I'm cured. Now I can just use and drink like everybody else. And the same things kept happening. The same cycle. Every time I would put in, I would not be able to stop. And of course, I tried everything to try to stop, you know, except for talking to people about it <laughs> because I was ashamed, right? And I thought I can handle it myself. You know, why can't I pray away my addiction? <laughs> why can't I just stop using? Well, maybe if I only use, you know, at night, maybe if I only use on the weekends, oh wait, how about if I only use when it's my own money that's paying for it? <laughs> you know, what if, what if I'm not doing, um, you know, devaluing and um, immoral things to, to get my drugs, then can I, can I manipulate it that way? You know, never grasping the idea that, it is a brain disease that I'm not pathetic. I'm not a piece of crap. I'm not a terrible mother. I have a disease. And it was so refreshing when I came into recovery and learned that. And I think educating people and speaking out about the fact that it is a brain disease. And, you know, we have ways to treat it. It is treatable. And speaking that message out so that people don't hide and cower in shame and thinking that they're terrible people because they can't stop using and they have kids and, you know, keep going in the same terrible cycles. We need to speak out and educate people that there is hope and, and there is a way to go about it. And we can tell you how, and we are living proof that recovery is possible. That is, that is so powerful because, um, I'm actually a certified brain health specialist with the Dr. Daniel Amen clinics. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is one of the first psychiatrists that was on the forefront of doing brain scans because his philosophy was the, treating the brain was the, and, and mental health professionals and psychiatrists was the only um, medical professionals treating part of the body without actually 
without actually analyzing it through either scans or x-rays or other tests that people were treated just based on whatever they told you. And so he started analyzing the brain through brain specs and could tell when the brain systems, because there's many systems within the brain, when the brain systems had disconnected from themselves, because what you just described is exactly what the brain science that has been developed through NFL concussion studies and everything else has actually revealed to us is that the part of your brain where you know you're doing wrong is talking to you and making you feel bad continues to work. But the part of your brain where you can control your actions and your impulses has been disconnected from that. It's actual brain scientific evidence. And so the reason historically substance use disorder or mental health, untreated mental health disorders have had a cloak of shame wrapped around them is because there hasn't been scientific evidence to, to, to demonstrate this is not a moral disorder. This is not somebody that, oh, you, you know, you chose to be an addict. Well, you and I know that nobody wakes up one morning and, and decides, oh, I think I'll just enter the land of mental health disorders and substance abuse disorders. Um, and of course, uh, that has really given advocates like you and me a, a, a stronger platform to say recovery is real. And you used language that I constantly use is that it's diagnosable, it's treatable, it's manageable. And you can be a person in long-term recovery. When you, implement, when you embrace that, when you understand that it's not about going to detox, getting the substances out of your system and voila, you're cured. That's not the way it works. It is so much more complicated than that. And our communities, I believe our communities and the leadership in our communities are not doing a, a good enough job to embrace the scientific evidence and build the long-term compassionate care resources that our people need that are struggling. Because I'm like you, when I speak to organizations like Rotary, Kiwanis, the Lions Club, these are business leaders in the community. And, I, and this is the way I'll start off speaking is that if I ask you to raise your hand, if you know somebody or love somebody that struggles with substance abuse disorder or a mental health disorder that is very difficult to manage, all of you would raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. After, after I'm finished speaking, everybody comes up and says, oh my gosh, I never knew that, it, that this was a disease that we can get help, that it's manageable. And, uh, you know, addressing the disconnect in the brain and then, in, and then surrounding the person that's struggling with the compassionate care and resources that they need. It, it, it's such a simple answer, really, to this tragic problem. Because as you and I know, most of the people in the justice system struggle with substance abuse or mental health disorders. Most conflict arise from substance abuse or mental health disorders. And most of the time, all of that is caused by some sort of untreated trauma, because that's one of the things that you talked about just a few minutes ago. The big, the, the, the big word that nobody wants to address, trauma. Well, what 
you know, all of this also has revealed is that trauma can actually be diagnosed through all of this brain science now, through all the spec scans and uh, fMRIs and all of that, um, head trauma, uh, traumatic brain injury, or the way that the body chemically reacts to a traumatic episode and buries that deep down in the cells at the cellular, cellular level, um, nine, nine times out of 10, people that are seeking help for some type of um, mental health disorder, like depression, that's what I'm talking about, like depression and discouragement or, uh, you know, feeling like they, they're manic. One day they have a good day, the next day they, they, they don't and they don't understand that. Well, there's evidence that that could be a result of uh, the long-term impact of childhood traumatic experiences. And um, so it, the, you know, the way that you're addressing this with the massage therapy, um, with getting involved with the uh, Diva uh, organization and your own YouTube um, channel is fantastic because you're building that bridge for people to say, oh my gosh, Jamie's story is my story, right? So talk to our audience a little bit about what peer support is so that because we, you and I understand the concept, we understand what that is, but talk to our audience that's listening about what peer support is and how it could benefit them or their family. Peer support is so powerful. Um, so peer support, a peer is a person who has lived experience. So we have lived experience with trauma. We have lived experience with substance abuse. We have lived experience with mental health disorders, dual diagnosis. Um, and we kind of walk alongside, alongside of a person in their journey for their self-directed care. So some people get it kind of confused, like, oh, are you a counselor? Are you a sponsor? We're not any of those. Um, we do listen, <laughs> but it's more about, you know, what are your goals and kind of holding the peer accountable to those goals, you know? So it's self-directed. It's, well, what do you want to do? What do you want your life to look like? And I do this a lot. I, I love doing, you know, goal stuff with them because uh, I always want people to realize that when you come into recovery, you can do whatever you want to do. And people will kind of just look at me, you know, I'll be like, well, you know, what's some goals, you know, and they, I usually get something like, you know, um, I want to graduate this program. I want to get out of drug court. I want to, you know, get a car, get a job, get my kids back. Like, okay, those are great, but let's dream big. <laughs> Good. Good for you. Yes. yes. When you come into recovery, if you would have told me that I was going to be a business owner, be a recovery advocate, be with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, you know, helping people like doing the things that I do these days, um, be in a healthy relationship. I'm about to get married. You know what I mean? I never would have believed any of these things. So 
we can use our lived experience to walk a peer through. And I, I know for me, I've gone to, um, I've talked to plenty of counselors, psychiatrists, uh, probation officers, and I am, I always have like a guard up, you know, because I feel like, first of all, you don't understand what I'm going through because you haven't been through it. And what kind of repercussions is there going to be for me being honest, right? Yes. But when you walk alongside a peer, you, by us sharing our lived experience, there's a relatability factor. And we can also share hope because you can see in a peer's, in a peer's life, how much growth, transformation, change, all of these things that, you know, maybe you never even thought were possible that you could attain in your own life, you know? So it really just, um, it's like a whole new perspective on it. It just opens your eyes to see there's so many possibilities and I can be honest with this person because they're not going to judge me, you know, because as women, especially, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I've done some pretty degrading things for drugs, you know, and yes. so I'm not wanting to share that trauma with a probation officer or right. with a psychiatrist or with a counselor, you know, and we have so many trust issues. This is so big. You know, I was just sharing this. Um, I was speaking to some people in a um, in another ministry, and they have relocated to Athens, and they're young people who are trying to reach people uh, in recovery um, and and teach them about the love of God. And I was explaining to them, look, you have really got to be aware that people in recovery have serious trust issues. The people that were supposed to love us first, our moms and dads, right, usually have broken our trust somehow, you know, whether that be, you know, for me, my father was an alcoholic who's very physically abusive. Um, you know, I come from a big Italian family where it was like, you didn't tell anybody what was going on. It stayed in the family, very old school Italian family. And, you know, we're not going to talk to anybody about it. We're just going to act like it doesn't happen. Yes. And, yes. you know, for me at a very young age, it was like I lost my voice almost, you know, I, I didn't have a voice. I couldn't tell anybody. I just had to hold all this inside of me and just bury it. And it was very, very painful. And I was always in a state of panic and fear and you know, when you go through things like this, it's hard to trust people, you know, but if, if a peer can start telling you, well, Hey, this is what I went through. Then you can say like, Oh, okay. Well you shared that with me. Now there's a, now there's a level of trust. Well, you just yeah. shared some secrets with me so I can share some secrets with you. And in, in, in bringing people to faith, it's so hard to get people to trust in a God of their understanding because a perfect father here is something they've never seen or never could believe possible. Mm, that's good. That's good. So um, what are a couple of key things that you would share first 
with someone that might be struggling that just kind of happens upon our conversation on one of our pages or on our podcast or your YouTube. And also maybe a couple of things you would share to that person's support system or family to help, you know, make sure that there's not this budding of heads, but there's actual support for their loved one. Um, first, I would tell them that um, I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> this is real. This is the truth. And you really can have an amazing life. Not only can you have it, but you deserve it. Amen. And yes. Work. Yes. And it's so hard to believe that we can even deserve a good life or that we deserve to be healthy or we deserve to be happy because we feel so guilty for the things that we've done and the things that we've been through. But that is not the truth. The truth is that you are valuable. Your feelings are valid. The things that you feel inside, they matter. And if you can find somebody that you can trust, somebody who's been through recovery, somebody at one of our you know, recovery community organizations, reaching out to anybody who speaks out about recovery and just, just share your willingness. Not even, maybe you're not ready today, but maybe you're just thinking, hey, maybe I could do this or maybe I need this or maybe one day I would like to do this. Um, if you have children, you are not defined by your actions. You are not what you do. You are still a good mother. You are still a good father and your children will love you. <laughs> children are very resilient. Um, for the families, I would say, number one, always expect recovery. Always, even when it looks the worst, expect recovery. Um, getting involved is what I find the best way for family restoration. So being, if, if you have a, a son or daughter or sister or brother who is in recovery, be involved so you can see, so you can have that experience of this is what recovery looks like to stomp out any of your own kind of maybe wrong ideas that you've grown up with. Cause people, you know, we only know what we're taught. So maybe if you don't understand exactly what recovery is, you don't understand the brain part of it. You don't understand why can't my family just stop using, you know, talk to some other people in recovery so you can get an outside perspective. Definitely find someone in the families. That is so important. If you are a family member or a loved one of someone in recovery, talk to the, to that, the other families and loved ones so that you can understand the whole, the, the whole process of it because you as the family are part of the process as well. And in order for this to be the most effective and most successful, you have to be part of it too. That's awesome. And I just want to back that up because the data supports everything that you just said. 
the most successful recovery treatment plan happens when the families are involved and there is strong community connection with that loved one um, because right now it's it, what the data is showing is that when somebody recovers close to or in their communities and their families involved in the treatment and the healing process as well as the individual maintains and builds strong community support within a recovery community. For example, if someone's struggling in Gwinnett County and they go through recovery in Gwinnett County, well, they build strong connections with other people in Gwinnett County. And that strong support system enables the long-term recovery to take place. Um, but what's ha what happens is that some communities like Gwinnett County, um, for example, they don't have the type of resources that we need in order to build that strong foundation for our individuals and families that are struggling. So a lot of families are having to send their loved ones, you know, somewhere else. Um, and I know that's happening nationwide, but hopefully the, the, the resources and the decision-making process will catch up with the scientific data to support that. But one of the things that I wanna to emphasize to all of our listeners, individuals that are struggling as well as their family and support system, is that you deserve the life you deserve. And you deserve to have a wonderful life. And being uh, someone that's struggling with this, that is called up in this darkness, doesn't mean you have to stay there. That there's hope, um, there's resources, uh, just like, Jamie, your resources that are available, our resources, the peer support, I think, is just such a brilliant idea. And I applaud the Georgia Council of Substance Abuse on really building that program and training, I mean, class after class after class of peer support specialists. One of the things that we're trying to offer is peer support for the support, peer support for the families, because there's not really a program that's been developed like that now. Um, we, we, of course, we have uh, family meetings and we have family resources, but we really haven't created a program for peer support for the families, like we have peer support for the individual, because there's many families out there currently faced with this and going, I mean, you know, go, even when you wanted to get well, going into a meeting that you know is going to help you is still a daunting task. Going in there facing other strange faces, that causes a lot of anxiety. So when families are, families go through the same thing because, you know, when, when someone enters a treatment facility, one of the first things that the family's told is, just like you said, you need to work your own program. You need to be going, find an Al-Anon meeting, find a family support, find, find all recovery meetings. Okay, well, first of all, the family's in, in trauma just like the person is because now all of a sudden they're trying to help their loved one. So the thought of going into a meeting like that is very daunting. But if you have like a, a peer support specialist for the family, that's what bridges the gap. And I think that's one of the reasons peer support is, is just so beautiful because it bridges the gap. It, 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 well, that, it, it just provides a bridge 
that is not daunting. You're holding somebody's hand saying, come on, it's okay. I'm going to walk this with you. And that's what families need as well. Come on, I'm going to walk this with you. And that's sort of what, well, that is part of what we're building here at Prevailing Matters is because we're doing a good job of addressing the needs of the individual. And now we need to do a good job of addressing the needs of the family because the family is so vital for the individual's long-term um, support and healing. So, um, you know, the, the uh, message that you have is so beautiful. And that's what I believe too, is that the world needs every single one of us and every single one of us have a special gift to deliver to our communities, including people who are struggling, um, that they are worthy. They are worthy of our help. They are worthy of our support and they are worthy of the life that they would love to live because that's what they were put on earth to do in the first place. And our world needs all of us sharing our stories like you've shared your story today, giving hope to individuals and families that are struggling that it, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to struggle and you don't have to struggle alone. And um, breaking down the wall of shame or the cloak of shame is destroying that all powerful isolation because isolation is, you know, the, the weapon of the enemy that really keeps people in darkness because they feel like they're the only one struggling. So the more we can talk about this and the more we can share all of these resources, I think the more hope we will give everybody to know that long-term recovery is real. And not only that, but it's beautiful. It's a, and building a beautiful life doesn't happen by accident. Um, and so just like you know, it, you know, it didn't happen by accident. But with hard work, perseverance, and the right support, look at, look at what you're doing. Look at the difference that you're making. Um, it's just so powerful. Yes, definitely. And, um, and just continuing, you know, like continuing to speak out and, you know, I love how you talked about isolation there. You know, that's how my YouTube got started was my YouTube ministry got started in quarantine. <laughs> so well, that's, that's exactly what happened. You know, um, a lot of my friends were really struggling, uh, and I was really struggling and I knew that, you know, if I was struggling so hard, you know, having a couple years in recovery, having, uh, you know, a great support network, having a, a, a strong faith in God that if I'm struggling and I'm all shook up, I can't imagine what people who are newer in recovery are going through. We always say we're, we're in a, a, a an epidemic in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, yeah. that is how I um, how I started my YouTube is just by just talking. I started, you know, speaking, uh, kind of like spiritual encouraging talks, things that, you know, I was, I, I was my fears, my anxieties, and then like my hopes. And I got so much, um, just pouring out of people, just contacting me saying, thank you so much because I'm struggling so bad too. And it's like, you know, when we can connect like that, we, we break that isolation, you know, isolation right. is what kept me in my, um, 
in my use and my addiction the whole time was isolation, me not wanting to talk about what was going on inside of me, me not thinking anybody cared. And, you know, we have to, to know that we are valuable and people do care. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, let's break it down just a little bit more when because at the beginning of our chat you talked about surrender so tell people that might be listening what does surrender look like for me it was walking down the street in Gwinnett County with a garbage bag on my back and trying to figure out who I was going to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate for another uh, fix, for another night in a hotel room, um, and being really tired <laughs> and just walking around uh, Lawrenceville Swanee Road in Gwinnett County where the interstate is with this garbage bag on my back and um, I got a call from a friend, uh, a woman had just gotten out of prison and she said, hey, I'm coming to, uh, I'm gonna be going to a halfway house in Athens and I think you should come. And all of a sudden it was like, I just threw my hands up because I just couldn't carry all of this anymore. And I just said, yes, I said, yes, I, I will, I will go, I will go into this halfway house because I know something has to be different. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know that I need something different because this is not working anymore. And Wonderful. for me, it was just really like, you know, surrendering. First, it was surrendering to what my program of recovery said, right? So that meant the uh, authorities at the halfway house, that meant the, the sponsor that I worked with in my Narcotics Anonymous program, that meant the, the women that I lived, the 13 other girls I lived in this house with, <laughs> you know, and being open to suggestions, being open-minded and being willing to listen to what they said and willing to follow their direction. And, you know, I remember my, my second day in the sober house and the director, Wanda Anglin came up to me and I was sitting at the table and she sat down and she said, do you know why you're here right now? And I was just like, not really. <laughs> and she said, you're here because somebody saw something in you that you couldn't see for yourself. And that was so powerful to me. I will never forget that because a, a light bulb went off and I didn't quite know what she meant by that or what that entailed. But at that moment, it was like another level of surrender. There was like some hope in there and, and just a, a glimmer, like a spark of maybe I, I am worthy. Maybe I am capable of having a good life and being happy, you know, not waking up every day, 
pissed off that I woke up. And, um, you know, there was many levels of surrender. Um, at six months sober, I got baptized and I fully surrendered my life to God. And that was somewhere, you know, the steps correlate with this. So we have uh, step two came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, which is just make me not make me think, hey, it's probably not a good idea to stick a needle in my arm today. Um, and then, you know, step three made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, which is like my thoughts and my actions. And so there was that point of like full surrender of, okay, God, uh, whatever it is you want to do, here I am. I am your vessel. I will do whatever you say, because clearly my ideas haven't been working very good. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's just awesome. Okay. So tell our listeners if they are looking for peer support for themselves or their loved ones, how would they find that? So there's a couple different resources. You have the CARES Warm Line. And that's 24 hours a day. You can call anytime and get peer support on the phone. Then we have just a plethora of recovery community organizations. Um, so we've got the Divas Who Win Freedom Center. We've got Jay's Place in Gainesville. We've got um, Rise Indicator. Um, we've got... Um, there's what Navigate the, Recovery Gwinnett navigate, that, yes. that we work with here. Yes. Navigate Recovery in Gwinnett. Um, yeah. I haven't been down there for a little while. And I mean, so any of these recovery community organizations can help um, really, even now, any sober living facility has peer coaches and peer support on staff. Good. So you could even call, you know, any of any of those. The thing is, you have to have the courage to reach out. So muster up that little bit of courage, as uncomfortable yes. as it is, and yes. reach out. Right. And uh, encourage people to reach out to their local community as well. We can do a lot online and digitally like this, but sometimes the journey is so dark, you really need that one-on-one, in-person, um, physical you know, face to face, eyeball to eyeball as well. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. And nowadays, I love how because of the the education and this recovery movement that everybody is just so much more willing nowadays, yes. even people in the, you know, criminal justice system are so much more willing to help nowadays. Yes. Yes. All right. So tell our listeners how they can find you. Um, I am on YouTube and my channel is Jamie Tall. So J-A-M-I-E-T-A-L-L -L is my YouTube channel. I have over um, 110 video testimonies of just different people sharing hope of how they got into recovery and the, the things they've overcame. I've got uh, stories about codependence, depression, um, being a mom in recovery, I've got a great strong women in recovery series that I'm so proud of. Uh, I've, I've spotlighted several different recovery community organizations. 
Um, and we're about to start this amazing diversity and inclusion series. It's going to be really good too. I'm so excited about that. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Jamie Toludo, or um, on Facebook, Jamie Tall. Okay. Okay. And in closing, what message of hope would you like to give all of our listeners? Don't give up on yourself. That's, That's what beautiful. I Yes, there's, there's always hope, always hope. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for chatting with us today and giving just so much hope for recovery and just living, living the, the life and showing and sharing your story in such a powerful way in so many ways, you're, you're just helping so many people because you and I know that there will be a lot of people that watch this that will never know how we're helping and they'll never reach out to us, but they may, may reach out to others. So by sharing our stories, we're always helping that one person and every person matters, right? Yes, okay. Thank you so much for joining us and um, I appreciate you so much. So y'all find Jamie if you um, are interested in hearing more of her testimonies and more of the stories that she has to offer and make sure you look her up and like her pages.